Welcome to this episode of the CP Performance Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Thomas Little. He's going to talk us through his epic 21-year career. He's also going to give us lots of advice and tips how to best prepare for pre-season or in-season, how to manage load and how to manage relationships with your peers as well as the manager. Dr. Thomas Little also talks us through what ColourFit is, gives us a real insight into some of the features, how it works, why and how they got to where they got to. Being one of our main sponsors for this series, I recommend you follow them on Instagram and Facebook. They're coming up with all sorts of new recipes and ideas all the time. Their content is incredible. Before we get started, just a quick message from our sponsors. First of all, I want to thank Player for staying on for the second series. So Player is the new smart football fitness tracker which utilises GPS technology to give you personalised sports science advice. For more information, visit playrsmartcoach.com. So next I want to introduce you to some new sponsors for this series. Colourfit is a nutrition app that has taken pro sport by storm, boasting eight former Premier League champions and Rugby Premier, European and Six Nation winner as customers. Colourfit empowers users to achieve their goals and make nutrition simple, practical and evidence-based. Colourfit are also given an opportunity to win one of five free subscriptions. So it's really, really simple. Follow at colour underscore fit and send them a message saying CP performance. That will put you in with a chance of winning one of the five free subscriptions. This series is also sponsored by Sportland Training and Fitness. So Sam Portland is an elite strength and conditioning coach who's worked with multiple international athletes from many different sports for over 10 years. And he's now producing some fantastic online coaching manuals that outline the progressions for all things from speed to long-term athlete development. These plug-and-play strategies are helping coaches all over the world to organise and structure their training in a much more efficient and effective way. And because you're a listener of this podcast, Sam's given you a gift of 10% off so all you have to do is use the code POD when you check out and you'll get 10% off of your product. So when you finish listening to this episode, head into our bio straight away, find the link to coachsportland.co.uk and go and get yourself 10% off of his coaching manuals. Finally, CP Performance have teamed up with vxsgymwear.com. So if you want to get 10% off their high quality gymwear, both male and female ranges, then look in our bio for a link or quote on checking out Joseph W. All in capitals. Welcome to this episode of the CP Performance Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Thomas Little. Um, Tom, I'm just going to pass straight over to you. Uh, can you give us a, an introduction, you know, about yourself, what it is you do, and how you got to where you are right now? Hey, Joe. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Love what you're doing with the podcast, all the different angles with the players and coaches. So hopefully I can contribute from uh, the sports science side and performance side today. At the moment, I am head of performance for Preston North End. Um, I've been there for seven years. Absolutely love it there. And I'm also the founder of a nutritional company called ColourFit. So, okay, before we go on to the MDT side of it, the sports science side of it, so ColourFit is one of our sponsors for this series. So can you just uh, expand on what it is you do and how you got to, you know, basically developing and building ColourFit, I think is a great story. So I remember you telling me before, so I'd like the listeners to hear. ColourFit was born out of frustration, really, from the nutritional support that I was providing for the players. So we put a lot of resources into nutrition. I place great value 
on it from my personal perspective and I've also learned the hard way that nothing gets your P45 quicker than having a few tubbies in your team. So we'd always put a lot of resources in my work towards nutrition. And so we do things like education, posters, cooking lessons, taking them shopping even, house visits. But the actual practical outcome of this, when we sat down with the players and looked at what they were actually eating, it was still just crap, basically. There was limited choices. They were eating out all the time. Just didn't really understand the basic concepts of carb periodization and had very little practical skills. So we set about problem solving these issues. So the first main issue that we came across was that we wanted to solve was simplicity. So we came up with this concept that we called the colour fit plate because it related to colours as a, a guide for what the appropriate meals were to choose. So we decided how can we make it really simple to choose the right type of meal and we thought well let's make it intuitive we possibly can so we broke meals into the goals of nutrition certainly from a a sport perspective so number one we had performance then we had health and then we had body compositions and there are more than that but all all kind of uh, nutrition elements will link into these three core facets so we thought can we break meals down into these goals so we thought well performance is quite easy we can put carbs into that because that's your most efficient fuel source health was a bit more complicated but we came up with a system where we did quite a deep analysis of the meals and we come up with something called the health score which is accumulation of all things that are important to health like your vitamins minerals fiber healthy fats and we'd accumulate them into a score and then for um protein it's a bit of dichotomy with protein but we thought we call it lean muscle because it helps to keep you lean so it's got the body composition part of it because it has the high satiety it has the highest thermogenic effect it has effects on uh, your metabolism as well and then we're also relating to muscle because protein is obviously important to muscle recovery and growth so we had these um three core components and we color coded them intuitively as well added icons to them and then we thought about calories we came up with an intuitive method of that like a speed dial and then we put this all together and it's very difficult to visualize when i'm talking just audibly but that actually looks like a plate so the central part is the color um the food goals that we talked about so it uh, represents the proportions of health performance or lean muscle and then the outside is like the speed dial for um calorie load so all we do very simply we tell our athletes or it could be a member of the public basically when you're training hard or coming up to important competition you're looking for more active fuel which is your carbohydrate part and you're looking for slightly higher calories and when you're not you're looking for more lean muscle and more health and looking for slightly lower to moderate calories and that is the essence of carb periodization and if you're doing that you're going to get your core facets of nutritional support which are performance health and body composition and you're going to be able to optimize those all the time or prioritize one if you're doing something like losing weight for a sustained period or bulking or something like that but in the main most athletes are going to be concerned with um carb periodization so that was the simplicity part taken care of the next big hurdle to tackle was the practicality because really that was the biggest fall down when it uh, came to most of our athletes a lot of athletes understand the principles but 
when it comes to the practical cooking skills, they're just not even going to entertain it. A lot of players that we encompass have come from Cat One Academies where they've had the bases wiped them right up to 18, everything provided. Then they're thrown out into the big, bad, wide world, away from the parents, away from the friends, defending from themselves. And they've got to uh, now cook for themselves and go shop for themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of them are affluent enough just to eat out all the time. So we really needed to tackle the practical side of it. So we decided to build this big library of meals. That One, they have to be very simple to make. And two, they either have to have a health or performance angle to them. So we built this big library of meals, attached the colour fit plates to them. So it's very simple on which meals are going to be appropriate. But then the key thing that we did is that we made short little demo videos for every single meal that we had on our library system, which was a lot of effort. But it was such a turning point in terms of the uptake and the acceptance of players thinking, well, actually, I can see it's not that hard. I'm willing to give it a go. That It was absolutely critical to how we could roll out. So we built this, like I say, huge meal library. We've also got a meal prep partner in there. We're just about to start a personal chef in for those that want that kind of bit more of a fine and dining and individualised experience to that. And then finally, we wanted to be known as a real evidence-based platform because there's a lot of pseudoscience within uh, so everything that we did, obviously all the meals are done with the gold standard analysis and you can see all the nutritional elements or the macros right down to all your micro information. And then we build out these other branches as well that added to this core facet of being evidence-based. So we have this thing called a meal builder section, which teaches users how to build a certain type of meal. It might be something like sandwiches, overnight oats, uh, protein balls, tray rolls, salads, smoothies, all things like that, how to build them around the food goals. And then we put, with all the different assets, we provide these video tutorials talking through the evidence of why you would make something or build something in a certain way. So we've got the meal builder section. We've got a meal plan section, so that's loads of example meal plans for different sports, different training facets, different goals. Again, there's a video rationale with that. We have a huge education section where we've loads of infographics, info videos. In the info videos, we, again, we show the evidence base without boring them with it. We just flash it up and show that it's very credible evidence based based on the latest peer-reviewed evidence or uh, international position stands. And then recently, we, we're just about to launch our phase two of the app, which is going to be available in the App Store and Google Play now. But that's also got a brand leading nutritional database on there. So a bit like MyFitnessPal, but more valid, the information. So it's international, it's supermarkets, groceries. So that's great from an educational tool. But our system that could also be used as a meal planner as well. So you could go on there and you could plan out meals for whatever the circumstances that you want. So you might do it for your rest day, you might do it for your pre-match, you might do it for a whole week, you might do it for a whole month. And we also allow an administrative function on there. So, for example, if your club buys it and you're the nutritionist, you could have administrative access to all your users. So you can go on their systems automatically 
and actually build meal plans for them. And like I say, it could be any type of meal plan. With all the other systems, you're kind of restrained to just a day or a certain format of planning. With ours, you can do it for absolutely any kind of circumstance. And then finally with that, we've got full branding capabilities. So it doesn't have to be related to Colour Fit at all. We can call it whatever your club is and nutrition. Uh, hub or whatever you like we can brand all the colors add specific content that you want take content out we can make content for you or you can add your own content so we can make it really bespoke for a company and individual mate that's absolutely outstanding that's so like you've, you've taken such a complex area of of um performance and simplified it in a way that it's just staggering, like the the amount of work that has gone into it, and the hours you guys have spent, and the the fact that it's all evidence based. And I love the car periodization. I love the models in and around, um, making sure that you know you've got the healthy section, you've got the lean mass, and you've got the performance side of things. It really makes it specific to the performance for that individual, and it's it's incredible. So I, I kind of I got talking to you just as I was sort of finishing my time over at Chelsea Women, and I wish I'd had hold of this before because nutrition is always one of the um one of the bugbear sort of topics isn't it it's always it's always hard to do because you want to spend time educating uh, athletes you're working with as best as you can and you know i, I got a part-time nutritionist in with us just because that's all our budget could kind of afford at the time to do that as best as she could but to get around to all of the players and spend time with all the players, go shopping, take them, teach them cooking, things like that. It's such, such a lot, of, you know, hours needed, a huge input. So to have access to this kind of software where you can get everything you need in essence and program and plan their nutrition with and for them is, it's an unbelievable piece of kit. It's, it's so needed. And I especially saw it in, in the women's game, some young female footballers, they would, uh, go through academy systems and never really have any education because they had even less time spent with them. They weren't as affluent as the the male academy players. They didn't have quite as much money, but they didn't have the education either. So because they didn't have the education, they'd go out and they'd pick up like a, a pot noodle or a super noodle. And you're like, hang on a second, you know, you, you shouldn't be eating that post-training, you know, or they'd go and grab a bag of Haribo sweets. And it's like, that's probably not the best thing. And you try and sit down with them and discuss it and things and, and put things in place. But Colourfit sounds like it kind of does everything for you in a really simple way that athletes can pick up and relate to their performance instead of just relating to like a um, eat well plate. So eat well plates are always kind of related to healthy eating or instead of just being healthy eating, it's actually performance based eating, which I think is absolutely fascinating. I think that's, you know, your your niche there and, and something that will definitely get athletes buy in. Yeah, colour colour fit is a it's a really nice backup for nutritionists. I think I would always promote with anything related to human performance, it's that human interaction that is the absolute key. Yeah. And for that, you do need yeah, humans on site to engage with them, drive the emotions, see all the individual barriers and and build relationships with people. So I'd never suggest that this is coming in to replace nutritionists. But the job for a nutritionist is so hard for a lot of the things that you mentioned there. So a sports nutritionist typically would be hired part-time. There are are more opportunities out there for full-time nutritionists, but in the main, they're they're mostly part-time responsibilities. They're having to deal with a number 
of athletes with all different circumstances, like family life, living alone, ages, dietary needs, different uh, somatotypes, the, the list goes on. So for them to do a really good job on an individual basis is so difficult. And what ColourFit allows you to do is just be so much more efficient with your time. So number one, you, you can send them towards certain uh, content to give them that background and basic information in there. So when you're actually on site and dealing with the athlete, you can um, be very efficient with your information and get to the point and everyone's thinking from the same hymn sheet at the same time. So for example, with, with my work with the academy a lot, I would work with my meal builders quite a lot to, for the, the practical um drive that's within that system so i would put them i would send them the video for a certain meal builder and the infographic the day before doing the workshop with them and that has uh, the information on how we build it and gives three different examples of uh, various food goals or, or how to make diverse meals for that kind of set type of meal and when they come in i quickly divide them into three groups i go right you're making one that's more health-based you're making one that's more performance based you're making one that's going to help you lose weight and straight away you bang 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 you're all acting efficiently in that limited time frame that you've got you can also work remotely by using color fit quite a lot so you can point them towards certain content and you can also write out those meal plans as well so you don't have to be there actively engaging with them to have an effect on them but like i say i would always promote that human interaction that is the the key facet but it just provides you with a nice backup and a nice lot of donkey work being done for you in terms of all the the content and particularly the meals which can be the hardest thing to have a library that's going to suit kind of all the different circumstances that you're going to be thrown at you because people are having a lot more kind of dietary um things like veganism and uh, aspects like that and different goals are a bit more clued in at the moment <laughs> some of it is misinformation but you might have a circumstance where you've got they're a vegan athlete and they want breakfast choices and they want to cover a certain nutritional element that they're deficient in this huge library of over 400 meals still will give you a variety of choices within those quite restrictive regimes that you've been given there so it's just a nice little backup to help nutritionalist act in an optimal way yeah no I, I think it's an absolutely fascinating piece piece of software tool and i can't i wish we had it over at, at chelsea women a few years back when i first started because it would have saved a lot of hours okay so coming away from color fit then and your, your current projects and things like that your head of performance over with uh to press and just give us uh, an insight into your your background and how you got to where you got to and before before color fit how you got to there and then that come to that conclusion of doing that it could be a while mate unfortunately i'm a bit of a dinosaur so i'm <laughs> 21 years in the game now a thousand games under my belt so uh, it's really a different world when i started so when i came through university i didn't really know the industry of strength conditioning if i'm perfectly honest so there was a lot of luck for me in terms of when i started and the, the role in terms of competition the amount of qualifications you have to have it was a different world back then so some of the advice some of my path might be different from the advice i've been given now and I, I feel so sorry for practitioners now in terms of what they have to have in terms of to just get their foot 
on the ladder and a lot of times that's just for uh, volunteering experience which is it's disgraceful really and I think we as an industry need to come together as a whole and try and uh, work for these opportunities to be paid opportunities as much as possible or covering things like uh, tuition bursaries um, but yeah I digress a little there so so my role the same normal stuff I did in undergraduate in um, sports science and nutrition came out that I was just very fortunate that um, a job was advertised for working part-time with athletes that turned out to be working for a company called New Life Fitness and they they looked after they basically had the monopoly on football sports science provision certainly we in the northwest working with a guy called Ed Baranovsky, who was hugely reputable at the time. So that was a great grounding. I managed to get the job there and I was working at multiple clubs, just didn't have that much responsibility. I just had to do what Ed told me to do. And it was such a brilliant grounding. Got to meet so many players, coaches, learn so much on the way. After a while of doing that job, uh, I did, sorry, I did a master's degree full time at the same time as doing my job at night school. And then round about that finishing, Ed got an offer from um, Nassim Hamid. They wanted him to go with their boxing camp to train all their fighters. And he was very keen to do that. And he decided to pass a mantle on for all the football work onto me. So I was very lucky in that respect to have such a high profile role so early into my career. And Ed spent a lot of money, invested a lot of time into kind of tooling me up into a practical sense. So went out to America a few times, trained at what is essentially Exos now as an athlete, met a number of leading practitioners like Gary Graben, Gambetta, Mel Sif, did all the kind of leading qualifications at the time, which were like TSCS, baller. So yeah, then I did that for, I led all the football programming and department for a couple of years. And then I decided I wanted to pursue my PhD and that required that I work at a club full time because I wanted to work on um, small sided game conditioning. So that required really doing quite detailed tests like lactate thresholds and things like that. So I chose to, I got an offer from Nottingham Forest to work with them full time. And then from there, really, I've just worked full time as head of performance or sports science at a number of different football clubs. And 21 years later, I'm at Preston North End. Plenty of skin in the game then, yeah, geez. 21 years of, of sports science and strength and conditioning, potentially being sports scientists getting into S&C before there really was S&C, you know, uh, as a mainstream industry like it is now. It's fascinating because strength and conditioning as it's seen now, you know, there's there's kind of clear roots into it. So it's you go and do an undergrad in strength and conditioning or you do an undergrad in sports science and then you do a master's in strength and conditioning and then you've got your different accreditations or something like that. So to actually come from it from a different perspective 21 years ago, and I've, I've spoke to a couple of other more senior coaches and they're, they're talking about their backgrounds into it as well. Um, not on this series of podcasts, unfortunately, but it kind of sounds like it's similar thing with them. You know, when you've got your sort of feet and skin in the game a little bit, kind of you go out there, you get experience with like, like say coaches over at what is now Exos. Uh, was that when it was a athletic performance, was it, or out of no, even before then, it was called the Voluntary Tennis Academy back then. So, yeah, super moons ago. But, yeah, over at Sarasota, there's quite a few top guys based out of there. Panis who was incredibly kind to me, being taught to absolute no one, and he was a, a god to me. But, uh, yeah, I've met a lot of my peers and um, 
yeah, fantastic, fantastic times, really. And I came out of it with so little. And I think it's a flaw of university still with so little practical information. So I had to learn on the job, but I just got the book for it. And I would just write down every single drill I had, that format, loads of Excel sheets of programs of all these different drills, just as many as I could. And because I had access to all these different players and coaches, that uh, book or uh, library built up really quickly. And then I was super proactive in meeting my peers who were, again, great. And there wasn't a gazillion of them to look for at the time. So it was not that many people. So I managed to meet them all quite quickly. The FA had a really good um, foundation and courses back then. So they would provide a lot of training, a lot of networking. So that was that was a fantastic way to meet people and develop. And they'd put on these absolute world leaders uh, down at Loughborough, have us there for two days. And these guys would just spill their guts about content. It was the best courses I've ever been on. And uh, the FA would pay for us to stay in a hotel. So the networking on that side of it was absolutely fantastic. So I think all those people from that time have gone on to do well, just out of, again, timing, and sheer luck and a lot of hunger and skill in there as well but we, we were just there at the time that sports science was evolving so if you were there at that time you find almost slipped in to being quite prominent in the role and I think you've seen it almost similar with sporting directors at the moment people that have just timed that well as that kind of role is coming about as super prominent in the game now without no disrespect to those people but without necessarily having to have masses of qualifications and massive experience within the role yeah yeah well i don't think it was like luck there's always an element of luck when it comes to any employment really but i think you're being quite modest with it because by the sounds of it you was extremely proactive in what you was doing for your own personal development and your networking you know and i think networking is um a key area that a lot of undergrads don't even consider, you know, they're far too busy focusing on just university. When I was at university, I was fortunate enough to get a position in at Wasps Academy where I was working under the likes of Tom Farrow, Ian Taplin, Sam Portland, Ryan Hicks, and guys like that, you know, and, and I was networking with them. I've now stepped away from professional sport, but I am still in touch with those people going to meet them. Like I'm, I'm going on uh, this weekend coming, I'm, I'm going out with, for drinks with some SNC coaches that are over from the States. And, you know, like I think networking, I don't think it's promoted enough when people are at university. I think everyone's constantly focused on uh, obviously their academics. They need to do well at university. Of course, I'm not saying don't, but I think the tutors could probably do a better job of, of improving the students networking capabilities and probably pushing that onto them as well and getting out there to go and get work experience like I don't know what it was like when you was at university but when I started I knew for a fact that if I wasn't in a in a even shadowing within my first sort of semester I I was going to struggle so I went straight from day one of university and I threw out hundreds of emails to every local rugby club every academy everything I could to try and get opportunities to shadow and I got a, a reply back uh from ryan hicks at wasps and he was like yeah come in come see what we're doing we're doing this on a thursday and then i went there and he was like okay cool are you in next week and it just built like that and and only through throwing those emails out did i get the opportunity to to work under those guys 
there, there are a few things that help with networking, particularly within my field, which is mainly uh, football at the moment. So the Fitness Football Federation do a nice little um, sequences of uh, courses that they're running or conferences. So they do a good job of quite regular and they have quite a good kind of up and aspiring uh, practitioners following them. Also, Dave Carolan is just about to start the Association for Performance Practitioners in Sport. So I'd recommend joining that because it's going to have a huge focus on its members maximising their networking potential. But what you were referring to there is, would be my number one piece of advice for any aspiring young practitioners. It would be just to get out there and get as much practical experience as you can at any level, whether it be your local team, whether it be academies, ladies teams, if you're lucky enough to go with the first team, um, that's fantastic. But there's lots of other opportunities out there. So don't be just be blinded by looking at, well, I want to go to Chelsea and work with their first and shadow their first team. Look for different sports because any of those practical experiences are invaluable. You learn the biggest tools that people ask for when you come in are, can you communicate with athletes and coaches? Is someone going to validate you as being an all right person? And are you a hard worker? Those are the three things that I go to. So I'd look for validation from someone that I know. Yeah, I'd look at practical coaching experience. I'd look at a validation from a peer of someone that you've worked with as, as well. And that experience will allow you to make mistakes as well. And mistakes have been the biggest jumping blocks in my career. So like I said, when I was working and didn't have that much responsibility, I was fortunate enough to kind of, be able to make mistakes, huge mistakes that I learned from. And if you go out and get practical experience where you're not the number one person in charge, it allow you to develop and make these mistakes. So, for example, I made some huge whoppers that, that completely transformed my development. So when I was at Man City uh, Club, I was like my S&C knowledge wasn't that good and I was kind of a three sets of ten guy, which is embarrassing to say. Uh, at the time, but then some other guys come in who were Olympic weightlifters and kind of really discredited me. But that was my spurring block to go, right, I'm going out and getting so knowledgeable in that area. I'm getting every qualification. And, and now I've got the JSCA one, I've got the CSCA one, I've got a load of different baller ones, and I educated myself in that area massively. So making mistakes is absolutely key to someone's development and you're only going to get to make those mistakes if you're out and getting your hands in the game and getting your hands dirty yeah definitely no i couldn't agree more i think um i've always i've always thought to myself and, and said and and some of the guys i've worked with is you either win or you learn like failure and and mistakes are part of the process of learning and developing you know and sometimes success can actually mask poor practice you know and, and hide it and i think that it, if you look at every every loss as a failure, then you know that's kind of a negative outtake to put on it, and that will put you down and make you feel bad about it. If you look at it as a learning opportunity, or any mistake you make as a learning opportunity, that's where you progress, and that's how you become better, and then that's how you succeed off of that. So I, I completely agree with that advice there. You know, yeah, 
And it happens right at the top. Just look at Anthony Joshua after his last fight. He's adapted his game and he's come out fighting. So, yeah, it's a great slogan that I'd say call that your book. But I think it's already been done. It was done by uh, Conor McGregor's trainers when he, he, he's called his book. We know Is it? I haven't read it. I'm not going to lie. I haven't read it. I'll, I'll probably I'll get round to it now. I didn't know that was the title of his book. So I'll go and Google that later on. Amazon it and drop it around. Have a good read. It's... Um... <laughs> Mate, well, like you say, you, you never um, actually stop developing and learning if you're of that mindset. And if you are of that mindset, that's what's going to pretty progress you, get you skin in the game and, and actually get you the experience and then keep you 21 years in as head of performance. You know, otherwise, if you if you aren't that way inclined, then you won't be 21 years in. You'll do two or three years and you'll be out the door. Yeah, and you've got to have that mindset all the time. You never stop learning, development and the guys, even at the very top, if you read Legacy, New Zealand, their record is never going to be better, but they're constantly adapting, challenging their environment, even though at the top it's easy to do um, when things aren't going well. But you should always be accountable at all times. So have you got the answers in black and white relating to performance that you can go on and say, well, actually, I'm doing a good job in this area or this can be developed and, and you're forced to do that when things aren't going well. So some of the biggest developments, again, from, from my failings when I'm um, fighting relegation, and that's happened a couple of times within my career. But if you can come through the other side of it, it makes you such a good practitioner because it forces you to look into everything. But you should take that attitude into everything in terms of being through accountable through testing or whatever it may be, even when things are doing well. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of more important when things are going well because then if if things start to go bad, you've got evidence to sort of back yourself up and look after yourself. You've got your own kind of insurance policy. Whereas if everything's going well and you don't look after yourself, you don't back everything up that you need to, and then it starts going badly, then you're going to be one of the first ones out the door um, because you haven't you know backed up what you're doing and why. It's it's an easy thing to say though. It's a hard thing to do because particularly in a sport where you compete in regular. You almost fit in. It just everything becomes routine when you're doing very well, and you almost become superstitious within certain parameters. Um, and it's very hard to say, "Am I doing well despite these practices?" Who would do that when they're winning the league? And you know, <laughs> you, you do unbelievably successful. Why would you try and open a can of worms? But the top level teams, they're so based on recruitment particularly in rich sports, um, that you have to do that. Very difficult, a lot easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think I learned kind of the hard way with uh, Chelsea women not to get too comfortable. We won the double and then uh, tried to keep things very similar to what we did last year because it kind of worked. And then it didn't work the next season. You're like, got a bit too comfortable, maybe need to uh, up our game, change things, make a new approach and then we won the double again the next year after that so you know you, you learn from success as well as failure I suppose you know we've we thought we had a a recipe that worked and then realized that okay it worked in that set of circumstances at that particular time but it didn't work in the next so you have to kind of keep it fresh and keep updating and keep moving forward so yeah there you go one of my one of my failings no that's a very important point the dynamics of your circumstances have a huge effect so for example if we went for the championship 
up to the Premier League, the game scheduling would be totally different. We would have more training time. So that would certainly need to be addressed. And there's a number of different things. The recruitment policy, the quality of the players that we've, we're going to have, the kind of uh, in, injury prevalences of the different players that you're going to have and priority of development over getting good players in. Um, lots of dynamics going all the time as you progress. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that's a little bit off the cuff then. So when it comes to the dynamic um, nature of your sport, and everyone talked about, and especially when you're at university, you talk about periodization and annual periodization. My personal belief is that you can have um, you can have goals and phases, but you can't do a, like a really detailed annual periodization because everything changes. So th- this is properly off the cuff. This wasn't prepared for you at all. Um how do you go about your periodization methods? You know, do are, are you? Are, it doesn't have to be fully comprehensive. It's just a quick idea on this. Are, are you kind of like me, where you have phase goals and plans set out, but you you plan in pencil, or you know, how how do you work it? Well, you within football or any field based sport where you're regularly competing, I don't think you can follow a classic periodization structure where you got you're looking for peaks within there or even dual peaks, quarterly peaks. Within the season, I think you've mainly got to concentrate on your weekly prioritisation model uh, and make sure you're getting that right in terms of you're training hard when there's opportunities to train hard, but you're also recovering from the game and leading up to the game. And that way, you're going to be fresh as possible in order to perform optimally on a regular occasion. You are enhancing training adaptations which hopefully can raise their performance potential and make them more robust and then you're having that time to recover from the game so you're not increasing injury risk and you're not doing that perpetuation of kind of overtraining or all the things to do with the fitness fatigue model where you're you're in too much of a slump and can't get your training adaptations what i do within the in-season as well i'll look at our overall max fixtures on a calendar and I look at busy periods and I look at periods where there are just one game a week so coming up to busy period I'll just periodize it so we're de-loading them a little bit uh, building into that period so for example we've got the Christmas mad schedule coming up so I make sure we kind of de-loading going into that period and then if we've got a week so for example again after christmas there's not that unless you do really well in the courts there's not that many games up to christmas so that might be a period where i do a small uh meta cycle within there so a little bit of a, a progression within the four weeks and maybe a little uh, deload period trying to peak that but in the main it's very much based within your weekly periodized structure and and I could go on for absolute eons now about your whether it's tactical periodization or it's a single load model I think there's um advantage and disadvantages to to both systems I would say if you've got a manager or coaches that are really hands-on coaching and a lot of like lot like a lot of field time with their players then I'd recommend more of the periodized a tactical periodization model because it allows you that high intensity on field time with the players and then I think if you're more concerned with other areas conditioning then you just want to keep it simple but you want a good overloaded strength you want good overloaded speed in there you might be better with the, the single loading model but again there's so many advantages and disadvantages I could go on for eons and it's kind of a, a real area of interest for me 
But where you can have a little bit of periodization is within the preseason. Having said that, there are a lot of games in the modern preseason, but the results of those games aren't absolutely paramount. So what that allows you to have is um, a bit of a build-up in certain things. So what I would look for within the preseason is a nice progression of different things. So I want there to be progression in intensity. So I'd start with lower intensity methods and move into gradually more high intensity methods. I want there to be a progression of specificity. So I'd start with more generic running techniques and then I'd build into more sports specific specialization, i.e. small sided games, light sided games, whatever they may be. I'd want there to be um, a progression in the high speed exposure, in certainly. So there's a nice progression of building up to your maximum speed within that system leading up to where your first testing period's going to be. So there's loads of ways of progressing, um, but that would be my main thing within the off-season, making sure there's a nice progression, progression of match minutes, so you're building up, so every player in your squad has hopefully played two full 90 minutes, but a nice build-up of match minutes up to that point. And, uh, yeah, like I say, just a nice progression of all those things that build up to overall load. No, that's a, a fantastic kind of summary of of your thoughts and process on how to do it. I think it's, um, it's, it's yeah, similar thoughts and um, a great confirmation of of how I used to approach things. Was thinking about the gradual increase in intensity, load minutes over the preseason, and making sure that the scheduling in and around your game schedule during the season to make sure that you're getting the most out of them week in week out. And and like you say, the, the one of the key words I think was freshness that you used. I don't think enough people focus on making sure that they go into the game feeling good, but there's far too many people that will do far too much leading into a game. And uh, I've heard conversation of players saying, oh, I've, I've played 10 years of my career and I've always had like tired legs on the morning of a game. You're like, I've never actually gone into a game feeling fresh, you know, and then when you start doing it with them, you get a slightly better performance. It's quite an interesting way. Yeah. And it's, that is hard to do. If you speak to experienced pros and ask them how many games they've started at absolutely fresh and 100%, they wouldn't have started many games if that was things. So you don't want to mollycoddle them too much. And you, and you are seeing little bits of that, particularly through Cat One Academies, where they've got lots of staff that want an input and a lot of that input might be around recovery and the focus on and trying to minimise injuries. But if you go too far that way, you will lose that robustness and bandwidth of players. So when the opportunities are there, long as it's an appropriate opportunity, you should always look to have some model of developing physical qualities, whether that's in the strength room, whether that's endurance, whatever biomotor quality it may be. Um, you want to have that nice balance between the players work hard, but they also rest and recover well and appropriately, um, built into the whole holistic model of the tactical, technical, whatever the type of training may be. A little tip for the listeners as well with the pre-season progressions as well. What I do is I'll divide it into energy systems of different training, so whether that be running or different football drills as well. So I'll start on the left-hand side, I'll have a column for the easiest methods, and then to the right, it'd be the more the intense methods. And then I've got the dates of pre-season as you go down for the different roles. And what that allows you to do is see a nice progression in two manners. So 
as you go down the columns, you should see a nice progression in terms of overall load. So that's the structure rate. So it might be duration, it might be reps. Um, so long as your overall duration is, is getting gradually longer as you go down that list. And then as you go to the right, you want to see more and more of the different harder systems appearing further as you go down. So on the left, there'll be more of the aerobic type stuff early, higher up and your rows. And then as you get more intense, you'll see more of the intervention of the high intensity systems as you're going down through the day. So that's a, just a nice little way of uh, checking the progression of your intensity and the overall uh, loading structure of your different energy systems. Yeah, I like, I like the way you worded that as well, because, you know, you didn't say, oh, yeah, we transitioned from one to the other. You said that you, you're loading more of, so you're still incorporating like the vertical integration type model. You're still incorporating aerobic and anaerobic at all stages, but you're just focus shifts from one to the other as you progress through. Um, that's how I interpreted what you said. That's Yeah, that's, I think, the most validated method of periodization at the moment, not to have complete focus on one element. So that's all that you're training, but you prioritize that a little bit and do still do other things so you don't lose those physical qualities as you're going through, but you'll have that uh, priority on the day. And things like tactical periodization have found a way around that by working different energy systems and neuromuscular systems back to back. So even though you're getting fatigued, you're fatiguing different elements, which allows you to work on those two components on those those two days where you, you can have a higher loading parameter on max day minus three and four. Um, so there are ways around uh, working on different energy systems that have been part of within the football model. Just a note on that as well. I don't think that's been proven in, in any way in terms of peer reviewed. It's just based on common sense. So don't completely believe that philosophy of you are only trading the hamstrings when you're doing um, larger sided games. Because believe me, if you're doing small sided games and multi directional uh, decelerations, you're also trading your hamstrings. So it's not black and white, but there is an emphasis with certain things. I do, I, I do buy into that. One of the um, good things I found as a strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist, working with a coach or a manager that used a method of periodization, whatever method they used, was that you had a clear understanding of what to expect from them so you could periodize your stuff around them. So, for instance, if I knew uh, my manager was going to do quite a lot of small-sided games as part of their tactical periodization model or whatever, I would know that then I could complement it with some more extensive like tempo running or something like that to, to make sure that you're not, like you say, hammering the same energy system, the same neuromuscular system, making sure you're not bashing away at the same thing, but you're completely developing that holistic athlete. So, you know, I think um, this is where, where we'll start, look, start discussing the MTT side of things. This is where I think you're, as a, a sports scientist, head of performance, whatever, I think your communication with your manager and your understanding of what they are trying to achieve is so key because if you're battling to get your things done because your things are trying to achieve similar or the same things as theirs, then you're going about it the wrong way. Whereas, you know, if you know for a fact your manager uses a particular model, say they, they like their tactical periodization, that gives you a very clear understanding of, of what to expect from them. So it allows you to work around it. Definitely. I think you've summed it up beautifully there. You've got to accept, really, the manager is, the certainly in my experience, the manager is like God. He is what everything will stem from in terms of the philosophy of the club, the coaching content, 
a lot of the time the re recruitment policies as well, although that is adapting more to clubs and sporting directors and things like that. But they're basically setting the stall for how most things are set out, right to your days off and all those different aspects. So you, you've got to work within their core philosophies and then see where your core philosophies can integrate with it. Not all of them may be possible based on what they want to do. So, for example, if someone is really keen on doing tactical periodization and a really hard Tuesday and Wednesday, it may be very difficult to do like a good strength training session or a good speed, speed training session on the Thursday. But that's where communication lines are the absolutely key on what you want to do. So, first of all, you need to have a good understanding of the foundation philosophies whether it's from the club or the managers what they're trying to achieve because the tactics really dictate everything and dictate the physical qualities that people are after us whether that's positionally as a whole a high press are we going to be a counter attack or are we just going to sit so therefore strength might be more of a quality as opposed to high speed so all these things are really going to fit within your overall parameters so then you have you might have to compromise them but you then ideally you want to see where you can fit in your um your core philosophies within the training model that they like to use then you've got to set up really good communication lines on a daily basis to see what they're planning to do within their training content can you advise it in terms of overall training load parameters so oh you might suggest a different drill you might suggest different structure in terms of repetitions you might suggest a different order of training you might suggest can i squeeze in this type of training in between at some point within the session so we like to do maximum speed training um on a, a weekly schedule and make sure that all players get at least 90 percent of their maximum speed so we do a lot of the time to ensure that our players are warm we would squeeze that in in between drills to ensure uh, quite a bit into the session and the super warm so the bike have done a possession drill now we'll say can we put in our maximum speed training session before they're going to go on and do further stuff that, that's going to make them perhaps too fatigued to do the maximum speed safely so that's before the session you need really good communication tools so ideally you you're involved in the team meeting you're involved in the overall structure of the meeting and then there might be a time frame where you've thought about the structure and then you might go back to the coaches just changes that's what we do at Preston North End we have an initial meeting then I'll go away based on what they've said and then I'll go back see the coaches if I do need to suggest any potential changes or I might have run it through our predictive load model and suggest, suggest that hang on this drill might be better based on the kind of loading parameters that are going to come in but you do need to be clued up on all the tactical and technical uh, outcomes if you're going to do that so you need to be clued up in the, the coaching parameters of that sport then finally the communication tools need to be really good well th they can be good in two ways We're, a lot of us are lucky enough to have live information as the uh, session is going on now so we can we, we could be looking at it and we could be looking at overall load or certain parameters and we could get, give suggestions as the session going on so is it certain player not working hard enough it's a certain player we're reaching a certain threshold for the time you can create suggestions within the session and then post session you've got all the analysis that where you can give feedback 
and that feedback might be to how to optimize that session should it be run similarly again how it might affect uh, subsequent sessions that are coming up there can be a number of different feedbacks that we give and we do that on different we do that on a daily basis we do that on a weekly basis and we also do that on a six weekly basis so you're giving the short little practical sound bites to the coaches on a regular occasions and by keeping them short and practical they're going to take notice of, and by doing it on multiple occasions you're going to seep through into their psyche so they almost think it's their idea so being regular simple practical based communication um, with your coaches and managers are going to make sure that they take on the information that you're trying to give i, to I love the uh getting into their psyche and making it think it's their idea i think the uh, best way to kind of build a relationship or or boost their ego is to make him think like that. Yeah, I know. I I'm giving the sports the head of performance. I'm giving him you know ideas in and around how to do his job. And and you're kind of it's it's almost the other way. You know, you're just feeding them little nuggets to try and convince them. Yeah. that Actually, this little element here will only complement what you're doing anyway. And they go, yeah, yeah, I think that's brilliant. But then they're like, then they'll yeah. give you another bit on it, which you was kind of leading them to anyway. And then that makes them feel even better. So, yeah, you know, kind of knowing knowing your manager's key. And the, the, um, sorry, what was you going to say? Saying the best ways to do that, my little tips to do that in terms of influence managers is one, get there first, so there aren't other ideas, and he's not assembled his own ideas that he's firm on. So be super organised and present your ideas as early as possible. Do it in a very aesthetic and organised and almost planned very practical manner so you're giving them the idea this is how it could be done this is the structure this is that nice pictures of it so it looks very credible and they're, they're buying into that um straight away um the the other advice to um get the coaches on board would be just make sure that you're super practical so make sure you're taking care of all the kind of equipment restrictions player restrictions um opposition that's coming up have a lot of ideas that feed into the coach's way of thinking so it's not just kind of a, from a sports science perspective use a language and use troubled and parameters that they're going to be thinking about yeah i think Speaking the same language is, is really key. I think uh, sometimes sports scientists, SNC coaches, if they've come from an academic background, especially, you know, spent a few years in, in education, undergrad, master's, things like that, they, they talk a scientific language quite naturally. And then they forget that the footballers and the coaches and that they're not from that background. They don't speak that. So if, even if you use a simple terminology, like um, I used the word potentiation once and they all looked at me like I was speaking Spanish. And I was like, well, Okay. And they went, what on earth does that mean? And I was like, okay, I had to break it down to them. And, and then they went, yeah, please just speak English to us. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know, and it, for me, it was, I'd spent years in the game, talked to S&C coaches all the time, talked to academics. And when you say like the word potentiation, everyone goes, oh yeah, and cracks on. When you're like, said it to them, oh mate, they, they were lost. So, you know, that was a really good learning curve for me, making sure that their language, as well as like everything, their language is, is their language so that, you're not only getting in there nice and early, being really organised and practical, but you're, you're telling it to them as simple as possible in a way that they will just eat up. Brilliant, mate. Yeah, 
but it, it was quite funny when it caught me off guard. I said potentiation, and they all looked at me like I was speaking Spanish or something. I was like, oh, right. Okay, so final thing then before before I wrap, uh, wrap up because I've eaten up a fair chunk of your time, and I appreciate it. And you are a very very busy guy with Preston and with Colourfit. And um, so what what I want to ask then is. And again, this is now off the cuff again. Um, you, you've got 21 years in the game. You're developing this colour fit app. What does the future look like for Dr. Thomas Little? You know, what's what's the next big thing you aspire to go and, and do? Well, my major aspiration is, the, with everyone at Preston, is to try and get them to the Premier League. We're currently sitting at third um, which is a vast overachievement given our kind of wages and resources and players recruitment. But we feel we've got a real opportunity this year. The players are performing unbelievably well, led by our incredible man- manager, Alex Neil. Um, so, like I said, we're sitting third with a little bit of luck of injuries. Hopefully, we'll be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. I think the playoffs is a reasonable ambition at the moment to catch Leeds and West Brom, who look incredibly strong and incredibly good squads and play really good football, it's certainly going to be an ask, but we're going to do our absolute utmost to uh, do as much as we can for the rest of the season. And with Colour Fit, um, like I mentioned at the beginning, we're about to have the relaunches of um, the new software. So it will be promoting that, looking to international markets, looking for different sports a little bit more because we've primarily done well in football, but there's a whole world of other sports that it would be suitable for. And also kind of university and college markets would be fantastic. And the big scheme with that is the whole basis of Colourfit was to make it simple and practical. And we did it around athlete, but if you look at the general population, that's what everybody needs. They need, with nutrition, they need advice that is simple, practical, evidence-based, adaptable, so it can suit their different circumstances, their different goals, and that's what ColourFit provides. So hopefully there, there might be a transgression where we take it from keeping elite sport, but also look to promote to the general public. But we'll see where the journey takes us. There's a lot of hard work to go till we get to that point hopefully it will be achievable. I'm sure it will. I, I, I can't wait to see how uh, ColourFit progresses and adapts and, and goes from there. I think everything you've done and are doing so far are absolutely fascinating and amazing and, and you're doing really well with everything you do. One thing, I, I just want to thank you for, for your time and this interview has been absolutely fascinating because I threw a few random questions at you, a little bit of a curveball, taking it in different directions because with 21 years experience, me having less than half of that um i wanted to just try and pick your brains a little bit and and i know once we got talking there'd be more questions that would pop up in around periodization management of thing uh you know peers and and managing managers basically and throughout this whole interview i've found that you've been very very humble all and everything you've talked about has been about not only your kind of your progressions and your company's progressions but progressions of your athletes and doing everything for your athletes so you're 21 years in the game and you're still pushing yourself to be better for them and it's absolutely fascinating because I think people get to start kind of 10-15 years in the game and, and stop thinking about everyone they're working for and they 
people as well, what frustrate me when they first get into the game, it's like, oh, my athlete this, my athlete that. From everything you've said and everything you've done and the, and the way you've progressed through your career, it's always sounded like even though you're pushing yourself to be better, you're pushing yourself to be better for them. And even that last question about what do, what do I see, you know, what do you see yourself doing? The first thing you said was, oh, when Preston to get into the Premier League, that's, mate, it's inspirational and it really, it's great to listen to and I can't wait to see what happens with, with Preston. I can't wait to see what happens with Colourfit and I wish you all the success. Well, thanks very much, Joe. I think you nicely summarised my number one. If I had one piece of advice to give to any practitioner, it would just be to always act in the best interests of your athlete. If you do that, you'll never go too far wrong. Do your utmost to help them progress and, and get in the journey that they're doing. You won't be too busy and self-promotional in terms of the work that you're doing. And if you improve the athletes, improve the team, you improve your reputation as well. And don't live in fear of just keeping them as they are because that's the quick track to get your player injured by kind of detraining and not giving them the physical capacities to cope with what they're going to need when they go out. So just always do that. Be humble. It's not always easy, but I work with such a great bunch of players that you just want to do your best for them. And they want to improve because we recruit from League One, from League of Ireland, some quite a, a few players from Scotland. And they know to make, to make that next step, they need to become better. And that just makes it the process so much more easy for me. And they're very motivated to do the work. Sometimes when you're dealing with really, really high clubs, they know as long as they don't get injured, they're good enough to compete and be in the elite. So sometimes that's hard and you can find yourself in the hole of just, oh, right, my whole thing is these guys not to get injured so I can't interfere and I can't push them too hard. But like I said, that is really, and it's been proven by some of the research now, that is the fast track to getting injured. And you look at the top, top coaches now, like Klopp, Pep, Posh, they push their players, they work them hard and they give them that bandwidth uh, to progress and be as a team and be robust. Yeah, I think that's key, yeah, making sure that your players are robust enough to tolerate what they need to tolerate every game and throughout their whole career, really. Otherwise, you'll end up losing them all to the uh, physio table, which is not where you want them to be. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Okay, uh, Tom, thank you so much for your time, mate. Thanks for all your wisdom and, and everything and you know, as I said before, thanks for being so humble and, and just sharing all that that information. It was it's fantastic to listen to and I'm I'm absolutely honoured to have had the pleasure to have interviewed you. Cheers, Joe. Well, you keep up the good work as well. You're doing a great job. So keep the podcast coming out. And like I said, I'm loving all the different angles. You've got a real niche going on. So keep it coming, mate. I will do. Thank you very much. And I appreciate it. All the best in this, the rest of the season, mate. Cheers, Joe. Thanks again for listening to the episode. Just want to encourage you to go to the bio and look for the links to the sponsors there. Get your 10% off of Sam Portland's coaching manuals and also 10% off of VXS Gymwear. Thank you.